Welcome, everyone, to an episode of Cheese, a photography podcast. I am your host, Jose Betancourt. With me, I have two very special guests. Hopefully, one is a, a permanent host, John. <clears throat> and um, and another person that you're, since this is mainly, not, it's not an, uh, an official Fuji podcast, but I do love my Fuji system. So if you're into Fuji, you're going to know this gentleman as well. So first, I want to introduce John. John, I met you at the Fuji Love Workshop, and you and I, uh, for the most part, hung out throughout the weekend and got to know each other very well. And instantly, I was like, I got to get this guy on a podcast or something and collaborate with him a lot more often. So how are you doing, John? I'm doing fantastic. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, pretty excited about this uh, particular episode. And uh, we'll get to know you a little more, John, but I also want to introduce, uh, and, and even though I literally two minutes ago asked you how to pronounce your name, I'm going to butcher it again. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you probably recognize the voice. He is, uh, Jens Crowder. Now that, that was correct. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate okay. It. Thank you. I don't know if you nice, but. <laughs> But uh, you're quite popular amongst Fuji shooters. Your work is un unbelievable. You're, you're, and, and and especially the way I saw that you you actually conduct this work is even more impressive. And uh, we'll get to that because you, you. and uh, and um, Tomas hosted a Fuji Love workshop and. Getting to see you guys in person, and John, I don't know if you agree with me, but the the passion that you guys have for what you were teaching us just came out. Like it's, you can tell when someone is is full of crap. You guys are de uh, are definitely genuine. Uh, so I made that whole weekend a lot easier because at first it was a bit intimidating because I'm like, oh my god, there goes Tomash, there goes Jans, so. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, you know, and, but once, and of course I came in like, well, like 30 minutes late. Um, so the intimidation factor was like at a full, at a, at an all time high. But once I started seeing you guys work, I was like, all right, this is, this is going to be an awesome weekend. So, um, what, what, what are your thoughts, John, uh, regarding that? I mean, I, I, I um, like? echo what you just said, Jose, I, I think I went into this with a certain degree of trepidation and uh, my background, I was a news photographer, so I know how to work in this fashion. Um, but I was inspired looking at all of you and, and yes, I, I mean, I saw how you photographed and I was um, amazed how well you blended into an environment. Um, and I've always thought that, you know, one of the highest compliments you can pay somebody is saying, I didn't even know you were there when you took that photograph. And, <laughs> to, and to me, that was the way you were operating is like you were kind of a ninja in a way. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's great. You know, when you go into a large city like New York, there's so many people and so many of them aren't making eye contact with each other. So I think that that helps the process a little bit is the fact that you have a certain cloak of invisibility no matter what you do in a city like that because 
first of all, there are a lot of people. And also, there's a camera culture there. So people are used to having a camera close to them or in close mm-hmm. proximity. So th- those are my thoughts. Yeah. And, and, and before, not to interrupt you, Johns, but I, I think I've pronounced your name three different times already. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually correct. <laughs> There's not much that can go wrong at that point. (laughs) But the funny thing is that you're tall. I'm 6'2". You're taller than me. You're a big guy. And John was just talking about eye contact. But one thing you guys uh, were very specific about was when you're conducting a street photo of particularly, particularly someone as a subject, you want that eye contact. So that's what makes it even more challenging and more impressive was that you're not one you're not the type to just easily blend, like similar to me. Yeah. But yet you did. And you got right up close and got the eye contact, which is what a lot of people want. So I guess that will lead into our first question. Um where did you develop this skill set? I think there's there's different aspect different aspects to that. I think one of the key things is that you actually know who you are and how you look and how you kind of come across. Because once you're aware of that, you can you can play with that. Uh, as you said, I I for example, people tell me like, okay, people don't do anything to you because you're you're a tall guy. <laughs> I said it's equally difficult for me to hide. So it's all about finding your specific strategy that works for your appearance and your character. And once you learn to blend in with that character and find purpose in in certain locations, this becomes easier the more you do it. And at some point, it it works at least 50% of the time, and it never works 50% of the time. And the other thing is a little bit of street smarts always helps being able to kind of see are people occupied, are they paying attention, are they hyper-aware, like where's my point of entry, how's the dynamics in this place. There's a whole lot of things that kind of click together. And uh, after a while, you have the little details down, and then you just execute, execute, and repeat. Anything you would like to add, uh, John? Well, I I just was looking at your photos again, Jens, and I noticed a lot of your photos happen to be in low or existing light situations. Um, And first of all, the other things that you've done, you've worked in tagging and graffiti, correct? That's correct, yeah. I spent <laughs> many years with aerosol cans in my backpack instead of a camera on on my <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and I see a lot of parallels with that. And you also worked uh, as a DJ or still work as a DJ? Uh, not exactly as a DJ, but I was uh, managing different uh, nightclubs uh, over the course of 10 years. Well. So I was in, 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 in the environment of the music business for quite a while. Awesome. And awesome. I, I mean, what I'm saying is, a lot of those activities lend themselves to uh, nighttime. Do you do you find yourself more gra- do you find yourself gravitating towards photography at night um, or in low light situations? I kind of did very much so in the beginning, and then I I, I I still do kind of, but daylight works for me as well. I figured it's all about light, and uh, if you can find that same kind of light situation uh, in daylight that you can find at night, it actually makes not much of a difference. 
but I tend to get out maybe around noon and I stay out until midnight. So at least half of my shooting time always goes into the dark. I kind of like how artificial light shapes the urban environment mm -hmm. and how you can kind of isolate things and, and, and uh, kind of construct the image with, with this uh, quote, quote, natural light that you have in the night in big cities. That was the amazing thing, too, but when we were in New York, I, the fact that there are all these tall buildings um, and we had this light breaking across things, even in the middle of the day, mm -hmm. or light ref reflecting off the sides of car windows or that sort of thing. Um, I mean, in some of those situations, it, they could have just as easily been a nighttime photograph, just the yeah. way the light was hitting things. Yeah, Abs yeah. absolutely. I mean... Excuse me for jumping in, but especially in New York, if you choose the light side of the street or the dark side of the street, literally is night and day. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's not much difference between the dark side of the street uh, or at, at 12 o'clock at night and, and at noon because the lighting is nearly identical. So yeah, you have true. these two moods anyway all the time in the city. So if you can handle both, it makes you a lot more efficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and... and Specifically, the, the, the photo that you took with the gentleman with the newspapers. Mm -hmm. And he's looking right at you. Yes. So I remember you were explaining that you took your time with that one. What, what I was referring to, and I think it's it's a big truth in, in, in street photography in general, in, in candid photography, is if you find something, it's more difficult to find something than to photograph something. And if you find something, it's absolutely worth to shoot it again and again and again. Uh, in the specific case of this gentleman, I think I tried to shoot him even the year before and then last year again and even during that day several times and at some point it just worked out. But you got to kind of, you got to be persistent to, to get a picture. Uh, if you found the picture and you memorize it and you kind of want to get it, just, you know, you have to repeat, repeat, repeat. It's a, it's one of the truths in street photography. Repetition leads to success. And, and just, just, uh, I don't know. I doubt that I told anybody this at the time, but going into the workshop, not that I was overconfident or anything, but I, I thought, okay, you know, I, I, I kind of consider myself, you know, somebody who's, uh, somewhat experienced in street photography and stuff like that. Cause I live in New York City and on my way to work, I take the camera with me and, then after work on my way to the train, I'll carry the camera again. So I have the luxury of just being around all different types of environments and characters. But once you gave us the assignments and then you were like, all right, you take this corner, you take that corner, you guys do this and do that. And I'm like, holy crap, this is a lot harder than I, than I realized, you know, like, <laughs> so it was a really good, um, it was a good way to kind of ground myself a bit because on social media, we see it a lot. We see people, and, and I remember you mentioned this, that some people will, and I'm guilty of it, put the hashtag of street photography. And, and then, of course, street photography is, you know, relative to the individual, you know, how they perceive it. But after a while, I started to, especially after that workshop, I, I started to appreciate the the work that goes behind some of these photos that we assume are just like oh that person passed by he took a shot there's a real there's there's a real craftsmanship to it 
I mean, th- th- that's that's very true, and uh, we don't want to like glorify ourselves. It's just a simple truth that expectation management in in street photography is super important. I think if if you know the eighty twenty rule, so you put eighty percent of your work into getting very few good images, and uh, yeah, I mean. There is a whole lot of work involved. I can tell you that when I go to New York for three months, I might come home with around about 10,000 pictures. If I can use about three, let's say four for them of them for my next portfolio, I'm already happy. And I put three months of work into that. So it's all where it's also about how you where you put your own kind of bar. And the higher you push it, the more difficult it gets. And I just tremendously enjoy pushing my bar higher and higher. I mean, mm-hmm. from my point of view, if I wouldn't do it, it would get boring. You know? Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the gentlemen that was there, Matthew, he has a question mm-hmm. for you. And since we're talking street photography, so it's a perfect way to blend into it. Um, he said he wanted to know your feelings on the economics of street photography. Is it possible to monetize it? Kind of. Um it, that's a difficult one. I mean, there's so many ways you could potentially do it to monetize street photography. And I think there's a lot of people that kind of achieve to do it. I would not bet on it if you look for your next uh, income. That would be kind of kind of risky. Um, and it's rarely the photography itself. I mean, the pictures itself that pay anything. I do, for example, sell pictures from time to time. and uh, But that's a difficult one because especially if you start out and you start selling pictures, actually by selling your first picture for a low price, you kind of devalue your work. Yeah. So if you talk to pe- people who are professionals in the business of selling images, they tell you as long as possible not to sell anything and then only sell them in small numbers. So paying my next month's rent with selling images will become difficult. So as you said, we do other things around it. So we do workshops, uh, we podcast, we we do seminars. There's a whole kind of a, a value chain around street photography that if if uh, which I'm very grateful for if people are interested in you can actually make a small living of it. But if you ever want to get rich, uh, don't get into street photography. <laughs> and it's really not easy to find a way that you can really follow your passion 100% and still pay your rent on a regular basis. So it's a tricky one. Very individual choices involved as well. Would you say that because of social media, specifically Instagram, where the hashtag street photography is used so freely, you think that kind of watered down the whole genre of street photography to where it devalue, it also devalues actual physical prints that people would be willing to sell and maybe make a living out of it. Well, I'm not sure. I think we, we if we fair, I think there's a lot of people who are very uh, enthusiastic and motivated mm-hmm. and they want to show their work and they may be in a very early stage of starting out. And I would never say like, you can't do that. I think uh, it's always bad to stop the excitement of people. Like you yeah. need to keep that going. Um, then when we talk about the genre itself, I think things get to a point, I mean, the further you go, the more kind of distilled things become. And then things get either sorted out or included. This happens naturally anyway. So Mm -hmm. I would not overvalue like the use of hashtags. It makes it more difficult if you put in the the hashtag street photography and Instagram to find the good pictures because there's millions of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, 
I think this selection kind of works naturally in itself. Uh, social media is a whole nother subject as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but let, let people mix. have fun. I think, you know, if there's fun, if there's enthusiasm, go for it. Yeah, you, totally. Is it right if I chime in for one second? Yeah, I was sure. actually going to ask you, John, since you, 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 you're a professional photographer who's made a career out of it. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts in regards to making a living with, as a photographer. Absolutely. I mean, with the street photography, one thing that stuck out in my mind during this workshop last October, Jens, you said that uh, documentation is an act of love as opposed to surveillance. So my my interpretation from what you were saying with that was this isn't really about the money. This is about the love of what you're doing, the the power of observation. Um, and on that same vein, you're saying, you know, you got to shoot. You're shooting for yourself. You're sh- you're not shooting for an algorithm. Yes. And I mean, my background is editorial photography. So I worked as a newspaper photographer in the Northeast United States. Um, and even though we'd like to say that we were shooting for ourselves most of the time, invariably things would get filtered through other people um, and expectations. So being with all of you guys was very refreshing for me because um, I had to go into this uh, with a certain amount of beginner's mind. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I felt like, okay, this is what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to act like I'm from another planet and I'm observing civilization for the first time, <laughs> human civilization for the first time. I, th- I think sometimes at least with me, that helps. It's just like, I got to get rid of all the clutter in my head. And like you were saying, gents, it's like not about the algorithm anymore. It's it's just about the novelty and whatever revelation you can pull from it. Mm-hmm. I, I fully agree. I think this is a valid point, John. And I feel obliged to add something to that. I think it's important in this discussion to say that for a professional photographer, I mean, what, what purpose does photography have for you? Now, if you're a professional photographer in the sense of I need to put food on my plate, then that's a whole nother approach. Then this is your job you need to deliver. If you're a press photographer, you need to go out and bring that picture back. The purpose is to put it in the paper. And then there's the people who do photography for technical reasons and there's people who do photography for creative reasons who kind of take the risk and give themselves this this kind of luxury uh, with a lot of... Uh, let's say hostel attached. So let's, let's be clearly really clear about what kind of photography or what purpose we talk about. Cause a professional photographer gives you a totally different answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And you know, one of the questions that I had sent you was in regards to trends and it's so easy to fall into a trend. And it's similar to what John was saying that you, you kind of, you're looking through all this clutter and you kind of forget that, you got into this for yourself and that's similar to the way I went in. As I stated, I I thought like, Oh yeah, I'm familiar with street photography. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, this is totally different than what I was expecting. And that's when I realized, okay, I got to go in with fresh eyes. And by day I'm a, I'm a, an elevator technician. So I'm accustomed to always trying to hone my skills by pretending I don't know anything even though I'm a, you know, I'm a professional uh, elevator builder, but I go into, I go into, especially photography 
with the mentality that and podcasting, whatever I do, whether it's, you know, whatever content I'm creating, I always try at least a few times a month to pretend that I don't know anything because it's those small little details and the basics that we, if we overlook them, we don't truly reach our, our truest potential. So how do you, uh, this goes to both of you, John and, uh, and, and I'm just going to put your name again. Sorry about oh, that. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. But, um, that was correct. <laughs> but how do you stray away from trends because they're so overpowering? Cause we all met through social media. So it's, it's in our face all the time. How do you, how do you avoid that? Joe, you want, John, you want to go first? I, <clears throat> I just take sort of a Zen approach to things. And I also come up with, ways of thinking when I'm not taking a photograph. I, I like to run. Some of my best thoughts for ideas come when I'm completely detached from a camera. Um, because to me, I, I just see the camera is a tool. Um, and ideally, you want to find a, a tool that works for you. Kind of like what uh, David Douglas Duncan said, you know, I um, my camera is like a toothbrush. It, it serves a purpose. Um, so I think that the, the charm of photography for me going into different situations, uh, is to try to go in, uh, with a fresh set of eyes with, um, no preconceptions, maybe some kind of mental construct of some sort, but also with a certain degree of open-mindedness, like what you were talking about, um, Jose. Yeah, you definitely got to. And as you stated, it's a tool. It's, it's the same way as a, a poet holding a pen. You know, the pen is going to illustrate what he's thinking and then put into another part of the whole process, which is the piece of paper. So everything leads to something. And as a whole, that's where the creativity comes in. Uh, so what about you, uh, Jans? Can, can we agree that having a piece of paper and a pen is not an achievement yet? <laughs> yes <laughs> to answer your initial question uh, how about the trends in photography I, I i don't believe in trends in photography i really don't like i um it comes from different angles because i used to spend time in the music business trends are usually kind of sales mechanisms and i don't think you can you can um so how do you say it in English, uh, like put your creativity below a trend, you will always be behind. Let's okay. say there's four year circles in a certain style, that kind of image is in right now, everybody wants to do that. So the moment you see that you'll need two years to catch up. And then you'll need another four years to produce the work, or maybe two years, and then the trend has changed. So by following trends, you're always running after something, I believe mm -hmm. you, ju you should just like find your style. Do what you do, and then within, let's say, a five, six, seven-year circle, your style will be back in trend. Just you know, wait it out until people like again on a trend level what you're doing, but never follow the trends in photography. I think you will set yourself up for for being very miserable. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I've heard stories where, for example, wedding photographers the client is telling them, look, we want photos that look like this. And they're like, well, that's not my style. And they're like, oh, but this is what we want. But for those of us who want to make a living, the trends can affect us because 
it, it depends on what type of, you know, work you're doing. But if you're dealing with clients, some clients might want to, you know, if they're doing family photos, they're like, oh, we want to be on the bed having a pillow fight. And you're like, nah, that's not the vision I had for you guys, but they might insist. Well, I, th I think the moment you have clients, actually the client is right. Yeah. So you just have to think about, do I want to take clients or am I do a different kind of photography? It's what I meant when I said before, we need to be very careful about people um, making professional money with photography have totally different priorities. You need yeah. to make the clients happy at the end of the day. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely so if they, true. If they want to have desaturated images and have a pillow fight, that's what you're paid to do. Yeah, yeah. Unless they're covered in uh, oil and chicken feathers <laughs> in a perfect world your client hires you for your vision and they and they trust that yeah in a perfect exactly. world. <laughs> that's true and that's which that's, by the way ties into the other question as well i can give you two things about that so you either you're a creator or you're trying to catch up to the trend and then very at the very start of when i started photography i started working with professional picture editors and I asked that question, I said, do I need to learn now how to do uh, flash people photography in order to be able to offer that? And she is a very experienced, smart woman. She said, no, just develop your style and, and kind of make it your own to the point where you can interpret and flip it on any subject. Yes. I think that's the smarter way to go about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Wise words. Absolutely. And, and which leads to a question from our very own Jeffrey, who, by the way, I met on the Fuji Love Facebook page, and then we kept in touch before the workshop. Um, he had a question, and it's very similar to street photography, but it could also apply to anyone who is looking to get into photography. And um, it said, what would you suggest uh, for, for someone getting started? Basically, what are the first steps they should, for anyone who wants to get into photography beyond using a cell phone? What would be the first steps that you would recommend? Well, I think two things are important. First, you need to understand how photography works if you don't know. And then the second, I would if I would figure out what kind of pictures I want to do. Like first, like find the direction to go, which is in the first step, maybe kind of a genre. Say I'm fascinated by landscape or by portrait uh, and then kind of decide to learn something instead of learning everything a little bit. I think that's of kind of kind of important. Like get get the basics down, uh, get an overview over styles and genres, define a direction, and then start walking forward. All right. And what about you, John? What would you suggest? You have to have an insatiable curiosity about something or some things. I, I think that feeds it. I think if you uh, are interested in something, if you care about something that's going to pull you in a direction that you probably need to be. I definitely think that technical is an important aspect of that. But, but uh, you know, once you master the technical side, that becomes sort of an afterthought um, through which you can project uh, what you want to see in the world. I think, I think context matters. And uh, again, it depends what kind of photographer you are, but if you move into any kind of environment or genre that has a tradition, I think it's most likely worth to check it out for inspiration, for knowing what, what, what kind of footsteps you try to walk in and uh, also to, to motivate you to, to refer back to the, the before last question. I think it can give you also a lot of drive forward to know where the, the genre you're working in comes from and who's been there before. 
Yeah, and and I want to ask you guys because as someone who's relatively new, it's been about five years for me that I really got into photography and bought my first camera body. Uh, we all hear, and I'm sure plenty of you, plenty of people listening, have, we all have been told, "Hey, you got you have the eye, you have a great eye," and blah blah blah. Absolutely. I'm always composing something in in the oddest ways. Do you find yourself doing that, like out of habit? Is it something that all the time? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Literally, I mean, I have to. I, in the meantime, after doing it for quite for for, for a few years, I I learned to shut it off because it can oh, get really? kind of exhausting in certain points. Because in the meantime, I have days where I'm really like, okay, I'm I'm not looking today. So I don't want. <laughs> I kind of want to rest. Because I'm, of course, an, uh, I don't know the English expression, and I'm an ADD person, so my brain mm-hmm. barely shuts down. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I, I'm constantly analyzing things. And I think it comes down to also to what we see as part of us. Like in photography, like what I want to see in a picture is a whole lot of your personality and your point of view. And if you observe the world for a long time and you're in your photography, you show me your personal point of view, things that surprise me or things that say something about yourself, like meaning you, you are in touch with yourself when you look for subjects. That's the moment where it gets interesting for me. So for me, it kind of comes natural because I just shoot what I'm interested in. And yeah. if I see the same level of personality in another photographer's work, that actually makes me interested as well. I, I think it's something I'm grateful for. Um, and I try to turn it off when I can, but I think I've always been a visual person. Um, especially after I got out of college, I did something completely different when I was in school. Um, and I just had this curiosity that wouldn't quit and I wanted to continue to learn. So I saw photojournalism as that vehicle to see new things and to see them in a new way, you know, even more so as I went along. Um, I don't think it's something that I can ever completely shut off. It's a, it's a struggle. I mean, there yeah. are times when I, when I want to shut it off, but I'm also grateful in some ways that m- all of us, once we get into this, we, we really don't completely shut it off altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, totally it's, it's always there in the background. Um, yes. and, and like gents, I, I have a certain amount of ADHD too. So I think, <laughs> I, I think there's a pattern going on here. <laughs> I think it's a gift. I, I mean, some people see that as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially when your partner, girlfriend saying, did you hear what I just said? <laughs> and you're, 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 you're looking at a crack in the ceiling or something and, yeah. and thinking that it's oh, the, you man. know, the Nile river, um, you know, in another universe so yeah, i gotta get a macro lens <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but, you, but I, I definitely think it makes you more tuned in um, yeah and i think you made a good point there john and i would like to also add that i think a lot of how we see actually needs to be intuition it needs to be us if it's very analytical very constructed the image kind of shows mm-hmm so I believe I just shoot what I what I feel drawn to, and I shoot it the way I feel drawn to, and I I exactly practice that outside of trends. So I'm trying to get more personal as I go along, and uh, I wish we would just all do that. Like not not even trying to imitate anything, just mm-hmm. like really give us personal points of view, follow yeah. your intuition. Yeah, and that's the that's the great thing about this is that. Where the three of us have a, a very similar way of thinking when it comes to analyzing our 
environment around us, but yet we each have a different style and perspective when it comes to photography. Because with John, like we joke around with the Apple and that's like <laughs> our inside joke, but that was like, oh crap, uh, why didn't I think of that? And then the other image that I haven't seen you post anywhere, John, with the window and the Empire State Building in the background. Right. That was freaking unbelievable. And I was like, holy crap. You know, like, how the hell did he see that? That was a double. That was a double exposure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it might not be completely in the vein of street photography. And I'd say that the Apple was also a little bit of editorializing. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, that that's like some of my professional influence filtered into that situation. Um, But that that was also part of a, a, a. that was also part of a little um, challenge that Tomas gave us was like blend two elements into a photo that tell a story. So obviously you put the apple and we were in Manhattan and you had the, the, the in front of the train station in times square. So it was like, perfect. I was like, Holy crap. That's awesome. And I'm glad I didn't get run over, <laughs> but, but you know, art is risk sometimes, right? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Jens, did we tell you about the whole? You came in to the conversation when he he, he was talking about clowns, yeah. and uh, John literally ran a block away to catch up to a clown. Because remember, you were telling us sometimes you have to walk in front of the crowd if you see right. someone interesting, walk in front of them, and then wait for them right. to pass. So <laughs> John literally <laughs> ran like half a block in front of the person because all of a sudden there were more clowns. <laughs> it was yeah, like, holy you know how amazing they, is that? They yeah. were moving fast. They, they were on the go. And, and he had a, you had to cross four lanes. So that was the most amazing it. part, you know? And I'm I, like, look at this guy go, man. <laughs> I just wanted that. I just wanted those clowns. I just, you know, can't get enough. Of, I guess. I know what to get you for your birthday. Did you get a good picture, John? From, yeah, from that I think, situation? I, I think so. I mean, I, I ran in front. Um, they were moving. I'll, I'll share it with you guys. I'll send it to you and see what you think. Yeah, she um, was moving fast. Like, you you really had a hustle to get in front of her. But, but you know, Jens, this goes back to something you were saying during that workshop. Don't carry a lot of things with you. Yeah. Um, and so I, I followed your advice, and I carried uh, one camera, one lens that day, and that allowed me to run after the clowns. You know, if I <laughs> if I had a, another bag around my neck, I think this this yeah, situation would have been, been different. So um, I like that approach. It's something that I'm adopting more and more. Is sometimes less is more. Yeah, and no, also sometimes eliminating choices makes things actually easier because there's only one way to act about it. Mm-hmm. Like you you cannot hesitate because there's no other option. And that in the true. early days of photography, I mean. Most photographers only had one lens anyways, you know, the options were limited, but in some ways it improves your options. Um, So John, when we were doing uh, full-time photojournalism, what was your preferred focal length? Uh, What what, what lens was your go-to lens? Well, I typically had two cameras around my neck. So that goes completely (laughs) opposite to what I was just talking about. So I had, um, I typically go with the 70 to 200 on one lens. 
um, a two eight, and on the other, I I'd probably have a twenty four to seventy two eight. Okay. Uh, so yeah, just to mix things up. But now I'm I pretty much am that one camera person. I might use a zoom lens from time to time um, because because of my editorial background, I'm I'm shooting all kinds of situations and mm-hmm. there's expectations of a variety of images. So I do have to have some options as far as uh, the magnification of the image, how isolated things are, um, yeah. you know, shoot me wide, medium, close up is a typical approach that I've taken with street photography is different. Um, mm-hmm. because I, I, I'd agree with you guys in that, uh, street photography, I think is more about distilling a situation and not necessarily seeing a whole scene all the time. You're, you're honing in on something because it's catching your eye. So you, you don't want to necessarily have a zoom lens or something with a, um, you know, a, a mediocre aperture. You want to isolate, you want to blur yeah. things out. Give that 3d pop. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the future. Um, first of all, what projects do you have coming up that you can talk about? Cause you might have something that's, you know, no one knows about. So I, we don't want to intrude on that. Um, anything currently coming up that we should keep an eye on? I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing many things right now. I'm, I'm trying to concentrate. I, I moved now from, uh, Still love street photography, not stopping doing it, but I moved into uh, documentary photography a lot and uh, did this a lot over the last year. I spent uh, two months in Brooklyn documenting a certain environment, uh, which you can actually check out on the Fujifilm XUS page. I did uh, something with the X-Pro3 for that. And I will go back to Brooklyn next year, hopefully for five, six months to dive even deeper into that documentary project. Wow, nice. And uh otherwise I'm I'm also I'm doing video. I might I'm thinking about doing a new podcast project. I'm working through twenty five thousand images from New York from last year. So <laughs> there's 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 a whole lot to do. I'm doing a new portfolio, a few exhibitions coming up. So yeah, it's um you know, self employed in photography means you're working all the time. Exactly. But I'm sure because you love it. It doesn't feel like work. No, absolutely. I'm grateful. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go back to my corporate job and put on a tie again. I'm kind of checked out of that for the rest of my life. So I'm happy. It's not as easy as it may sound. It's it's the, the whole stigma of, oh, you got to go to college. You got to have a career. You got to have a family and make sure you have this and this. And then we can fall into that trap. Not necessarily a trap, but, you know, a lot of times people like us who are who who like to think very freely and creatively really put a burden because you're fighting two different ideals. So True. I'm at that crossroad right now. Uh, I, I hear you. I've been there and I think it's an important decision to make and you shouldn't take it lightly. As soon as you also have kids and family and stuff like that, lots of other factors come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it must be a very conscious decision decision it's not not a light-hearted choice of direction yes. yeah yeah so that's a word of advice to 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 those listening and isn't that tra- you know in that same thought processes um so john w- what about you anything coming up um are you are you going to go back into photo photojournalism i'd say that my love is always with photojournalism and that way of shooting 
I worked as a news photographer. I also worked as a director of photography at a couple of newspapers. Wow. So, awesome. um, but that had, a, that had, a, that was a mixed bag too, because I wasn't taking as many photos <laughs> and oh. the, the industry has changed so much in the last, uh, 30 years, as you guys know, and there's a lot of downsizing and there are a lot of people with, with cameras now who work for news organizations, but at the same time, they're not as many photographers. So you have writers with cell phones and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, in that respect, it's kind of depressing. So I'm venturing away from that. I ha still have a, a reverence for photojournalism. Um, I was inspired by this workshop we all took this fall with Jens. And, uh, and I want to go more in that direction. I'm also uh, doing portraits, uh, doing headshots, even corporate work, because I, I think that there... <laughs> There is a practical part of me. I have to make a living. I have to mm -hmm. put food on the table. Um, Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm also doing some pro bono work uh, for a new Paralympic sport called race running. So the last few years I've been in Copenhagen for um, a big event, a competitive event they have there. Uh, and that's that's been very gratifying as well. Yeah. Uh, that's That's basically been documentary photography mixed with sports photojournalism. Yeah. And, and I feel like, I feel that street and documentary photography are somewhat similar, uh, depending on how you do it. Knowing one, I, I believe kind of helps the other because you're, you're kind of not staging everything. You're documenting. Uh, exactly. Certain, I, th I think, story. you know, if, if you're in journalism, you're not supposed to stage anything, period. I mean, some people might disagree with me, but, um, yeah, street photography to me is the same way. I think no matter what, uh, there always is going to be a little bit of you in that photograph. And I think that's something you should strive for. It's, that's what differentiates you from other people's work. Yes. I think, I think there's a little historical fact we also need to keep in mind as well, which is, if you look back at the last century at, for example, what Magnum did, Cartier-Bresson, Coppa, uh, Bourdieu and all these guys, um, that was to a large part also street photography. And until 20 years ago or 30 years ago, nobody ever used the term street photography. It was all about documenting humans. And then the mm -hmm. output and maybe the ethics was a bit different if it was journalistic or if it was documentary or if it was street. Street definitely has the most freedom. But those are all very close siblings from the same family with the same kind of intention. And when you ask Cartier-Bresson uh, why he did street photography, he would tell you he hates the term street photography. So the term street photography is a rather recent uh, um, add-on to kind of the genre thing before this all came out of the same intention, at least. So we're all very close together in this. Sticking to the future of photography and the industry as a whole, we're, we're now seeing the pattern that Apple and cell phone manufacturers have adapted is that um, cameras are now coming out more frequently. Sony is kind of the, the, the leader in that where every six months there's a new version of the camera they just released. And of course, that type of uh, consumerism is, is also distracting because a lot of great conversations for example on the fuji love facebook page can be drowned out 
by Tech Talk. And we saw the outrage with the X-Pro3, where it was about all about the screen, and people were just jumping into conclusion, having arguments, having these uh, you know, time-consuming debates. But the fact is, technology, especially what we see with, let's say, the Google Pixel phones, the, the algorithms that are produced with, with, within their camera, even the iPhone can produce background blur. Will that type of technology or, or will those types of algorithms make their way into a camera body? And if so, how would that affect professionals? I used, I used to work in IT for a while. And um, I think that camera manufacturers, f- from a very general point of view, have a little bit of homework to do when it comes to how we in 2020 deal with software and open development environments and, and kind of allow people to also work with the computing part of a camera as they are today little computers. And I think it's a flaw that we cannot do that yet. And yet the cell phone guys are, are light years ahead in that aspect. So I don't know where this is leading, but I'm generally coming from the point of view where I think a good picture is a good picture. At the end of the day, I don't care if you took it with an iPhone 11 or, or with, an, with an XT3. If the picture is amazing, the picture is amazing. But I, I, I think I don't know where the future goes. But uh, a lot of people will probably use cell phones in the future instead of cameras. But then an iPhone can't do what the 50s can't do, and the blur on the iPhone still is a machine rendering, yes, and not and not a physical process. So there is differences in that. I think for those who want to come close, the iPhone or the phone general will be the tool of choice. Let's see where this technology goes. And for camera manufacturers, like they need to catch up a little bit to the digital features of those phones since we are having computers with lenses. So I think these worlds probably mix a little bit. And I don't have no idea where this is going in general. I really don't know. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. What what do you think, John? Well, I, I do agree with gents. I think the best camera is the one that you have with you. Uh, but I think when you're trying to figure out what to do with a camera, you got to figure out what your needs are first and then figure out what tool is going to work for you. I mean, don't, don't you think mm-hmm. it usually works out that way? I, I think that, uh, yeah, we were talking about trends earlier and uh, cameras aren't immune from the trends and the software and all that. I, I think there's a lot, a lot of, people out there, including me, comparing what I'm doing with what everybody else is doing. But if we just slow it down a little bit and, and just figure out what are, what is your needs and what are your needs in photography? What are my needs? And then you work from that base to figure out where you want to go with your photography. Um, I definitely think that everything's getting smaller and mm-hmm. less expensive because I, I, I remember when I got into digital photography and newspapers over 20 years ago, a DSLR camera was about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, and oh, it, it can't. <laughs> wow. The the Kodak DCS 520, which was a Canon uh, EOS mount uh, Kodak digital camera, and it shot I don't know maybe three three megapixels, something really small, something <laughs> that an iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy would outdo in a heartbeat, um, and it, in 2003, a CF card, a one um, gigabyte card was $300. Now, look where that 
that money will get us now. We can probably oh, get yeah. maybe a 512 or a terabyte card for the same price. That's yeah. 500 to 1,000 times larger in file storage size. Uh, and so speed every too. <laughs> and speed exactly and speed too because um, we're going in different directions. It's not just still photography uh, in the certain media, including newspapers. We're being required to photograph video as well. So we have to have all the options on the table because that's what everybody is clamoring for. But if yeah. you're doing it for yourself, again, you, you got to figure out what your needs are and, and work from those needs. It's it's a similar thing with the whole selfie culture. I mean, I think nowadays people come back from travel and they're like, that's me in front of the Eiffel Tower. That's me in front of the Empire State Building. That's me at the beach. And I'm like, yeah, can yeah. I just see the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> <laughs> I have a quick story about a, a selfie stick in Rome. Uh, I was about to take a photo of uh, an, an Egyptian tomb, and it was huge. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. As I'm about to take my photo, a, a, a lady walks in front of me with a selfie stick and starts like fixing her hair. <laughs> and she's like, and I'm looking at her like in disbelief, like just staring at her, like, are you going to acknowledge that I was here? And then in the corner of my eye, I see a guy standing with his head down. So I look at him and he's, he looks at me and he puts his head down again. And, and I'm like shaking my head, like, are you going to say anything to your wife? he's kind of rude and then my wife she knows me so she's like joey just relax take it easy. i said no i'm in rome i'm, I'm taking it easy i said it's just you know <laughs> like she was so oblivious and then a few feet away i get hit with a selfie stick so it was like oh my god i gotta get out of here <laughs> you know jose that sounds like a good photo yeah right <laughs> i mean you me standing there with the, the camera subjects. yeah you as one of the subjects <laughs> Because you know what, a hundred years from now, we're going to be looking back at all these trends and things, and we're not going to be looking back because we're going to be in the ground, yeah. you know, with our with our cameras and yeah, our cameras. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and our favorite but, prints. But this is a time. This is a time in history where this is going on, and I think that points to the importance of the photography of these things, even though it might seem mundane right now. The fact that she's taking out her selfie stick might be lend itself to a good street photography that might be appreciated further down the road. Maybe not now, but further down the road. So we're going to wrap it up. John, where can we find you at? If you have anything uh, currently going on, you would like people to know about and where well, can they find it? Well, my name is John Clark Russ. Clark spelled with an E at the end of it. Russ is R-U-S-S. Um, and Honestly, I'm in the process of blowing up my websites, uh, just changing my complete look over. So uh, revisit this conversation in about a month or so. I'm going more in the direction of portraits. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing what you could do. And uh, Jens, what about you? Where can we find you? Well, you'll find me at uh, www.jenskrauer.com. And uh, it all goes from there. You also find me on the X Photographer's homepage. And uh, if you type me in Google, you'll find a lot of stuff as well. So I'm always happy if somebody comes by. And uh, thank you in advance if you have a look at my page. Yeah, yeah. And you don't post very often. But when you do, it's like, he's posted, everybody. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great because you, you also mentioned that at the workshop and – you haven't strayed from that. 
ever since like I noticed. I'm like, okay, yeah, he doesn't really post. And you made a great point. You said a, a photo is going to be good whether I post it today or six months from now, or if I posted it last year, it's still going to be great. And people are still going to gravitate to that. It makes no difference. It's like an amazing song. You can listen to it for your whole life. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a great tip. And that's a great way for us to end the podcast. So thank you everyone for listening. And thank you guys for joining me today. We'll talk to you next week.